from KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up on this podcast... The balance of political power in Pennsylvania is at a crossroads after the U.S. Supreme Court upholds the new congressional district map. We'll shake up the congressional elections, the likes of which we have not seen. The immediate impact, midterm predictions, and Republican backlash. The Republican legislature would look at taking out a judge. And maybe more than one. This talk about impeachment is irresponsible. All sides weigh in. Lawyers for the imprisoned Philly-born rapper turned poster child for reform take the case to Pennsylvania's Supreme Court. Any additional time or day he spends in jail is unjust. There are legal arguments on why the high court should remove the Philly judge on the case and the city official asking for the rapper's release. Hey guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks all. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is Pennsylvania's new congressional district map that will be used for the 2018 midterms. This week, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld that map, which was drawn by Pennsylvania's highest court. The new map could impact the balance of power in the U.S. House of Representatives. Get out there and work. Help this man win. That sound from a recent rally where Democrat Connor Lamb eked out a special election win in a Republican district. Democrats expect more of that. We celebrate regaining our voice and our vote. The previous map gerrymandered by Republicans gave the GOP an advantage in 13 of 18 congressional districts. So how will this new map change Pennsylvania and Congress? And are the parties ready for what's to come? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Ben Geffen, a staff attorney with the Public Interest Law Center, the nonprofit that secured the gerrymandering ruling and the final outcome by the U.S. Supreme Court. We also have Val DiGiorgio, chairman of the Republican Party of Pennsylvania, and on the phone, we have Dr. Terry Madonna, a political pollster and the director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs at Franklin and Marshall College. Everyone, welcome to Flashpoint. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. I want to start with uh, Dr. Terry Madonna. Um, what's the impact of this new map on Pennsylvania politics from your point of view? Well, I don't think it's, there's any doubt that it's, it has a huge impact. It will shake up the congressional elections, the likes of which we have not seen in modern history. Under the old map, the Republicans had secured 13 of the 18 congressional districts, and uh, the Democrats had five, and quite frankly, competition on the Democratic and Republican side had diminished uh, significantly, largely because of the nature of the the, uh, gerrymandering that had taken place. Uh, In addition to that, under the new map, it now looks like there will be three, at least three seats in the Philadelphia suburbs that the Democrats have a solid chance of picking up and two or three seats elsewhere where they have an opportunity to pick up seats. All in all, it's going to increase, whether you like the ruling by by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, or I should put it, the uh, congressional map that the Supreme Court of the state uh, put forward, whether you like that or not, the bottom line is that it certainly makes for more competition. It does open up the prospects for a huge change. Notice the words I use, prospects for, huge change in the the, uh, 
uh, configuration, if you will, yeah. in the composition of the state's uh, 18 congressional districts. And, and so, Val, how are Pennsylvania Republicans dealing with this? Well, clearly we're going to have to be in our A game. The, the map is, as some people said, including the New York Times, uh, the Democrat Party's dream. And uh, we feel this is an unconstitutional power grab by the by the uh, the, the uh, judiciary. Um, keep in mind that, and you'll hear from um, the other side in a minute. But we had won these seats in the Republican Party in 2010 when there was a wave year, and we held on to them. And then in 2012, we drew 2011. We drew new, new lines. Those were upheld by the Supreme Court mm-hmm. in 2011. And then we've managed to we, – we redrew some of the seats. And yes, the 7th, which is the one which is goofy kicking Donald Duck, was uh, was an odd-looking district. But the Supreme Court basically said these seats – Are you talking ne- about the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Supreme, Supreme Court? Pennsylvania Supreme Court. These mm-hmm. seats need to be compact and contiguous. So we drew new lines, followed their order. The, the Pennsylvania Republican leadership in the House and Senate drew new lines – and drew more compact and contiguous seats. Mm-hmm. And there actually were more compact and contiguous seats than what the Sup- Pennsylvania Supreme Court ultimately drew for themselves. And um, Governor we, Wolf, yeah. yeah. And well, Governor Wolf drew his own and that, that was rejected as well. Supreme Court actually drew a more partisan Democrat seat uh, map than, than Tom Wolf drew, Governor Wolf drew. And his was pretty partisan. But the point is, in their order, they said compact and contiguous. That mm-hmm. was one of the standards. We sent them a more compact and contiguous map. And they rejected that in favor of a map that had more municipality splits, county splits, and precinct splits than the Republican map that we drew. Yeah. And in the the end, drew a very partisan map, which was what we're calling judicial mandering is what we're calling. So what they accused the Republicans (laughs) of doing and being unconstitutional in 2011, which had been the standard for this this republic since the beginning of this republic. It's, you know, legislatures draw lines and that's what the U.S. Constitution says. Then they draw a map, take it upon themselves – to violate separation of powers, draw their own map, in the process, give it a Democrat dream is what, uh, what some Democrat. said. And so, Ben, you, you all represented the plaintiffs in this case. Um, and so talk about this. I mean, you, you got the U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court weighed in on this. What do you say in response to that? This is they the Republicans fought this thing as much as they could. And now this is the map. Right. So this is a case brought by the League of Women Voters, a nonpartisan organization, as well as individual voters from across the state. And what the case has been about all along is uh, the original map, the 2011 map for Pennsylvania, was drawn specifically to maximize partisan advantage. It was not drawn in a way that kept communities together. It was not drawn in a way that kept compact districts. Uh, The Pennsylvania Supreme Court called it what it was, which was a partisan gerrymander that violated the Pennsylvania Constitution. The new map uh, is a dramatic improvement over the old map. It creates competitive uh, districts, but it is drawn primarily in a way that keeps communities together. It doesn't split up lots Mm. of counties and lots of municipalities. Uh, It's drawn in a way that uh, was not driven by partisan considerations, but by neutral criteria like keeping the districts contiguous and having the same population as one another and so forth. And the end result is a map that I think everybody would agree uh, is uh, giving is is attracting new candidates from both parties uh, to run in uh, races that are going to be vigorously contested all over the state. Uh, so it is, and we uh, do have a large number uh, of people who have run. I think close to a hundred folks. It's the most candidates who've run in many years for the U.S. House in Pennsylvania. Uh, 
Uh, so it has uh, it has drawn new entrants from yeah. both parties into the process. Nationally, Democrats need about 24 additional seats in the U.S. House of Representatives to have the power shift happen. How big of a difference maker could Pennsylvania be now that this new map is in place? Well, this could be four or five seat swing to the Democrats, and it's made some seats less competitive. They've put more Republicans in some Republican legislators' uh, seats, Republican congressmen seats. The Pat Meehan seat in Delaware County is now not competitive at all. And you can go around the state and see this has actually meant fewer competitive seats. It's number one. Number two, the argument that this is compact and contiguous and hasn't split communities of interest is an out falsehood. The South Hills of, of Allegheny County below Pittsburgh have been split. Your county has been split, including one precinct in your county now that shares two congressmen. And you can go around the state. Derry Township and Derry Borough up in the Scranton area have been split. You can go around the state. And we had fewer splits in the Republican map mm. than this seat does. And I just want to uh, have t- Terry, I want to have you you weigh in on this. And, and Ben, feel free to weigh in as well. We have uh, Democrat uh, Connor Lamb, who just right. replaced Tim Murphy. He's now in the 18th district. He won by a mere 600 mm. votes. Um, is this an indicator of what could hap- could happen? Tighter races well, in more districts yep. well, where Democrats could eke out the win? Yeah, let me talk more generically. You know, we've had election cycles in which one party often yeah. has an advantage over the other. As Val pointed out, the Republicans had a big advantage in a wave election in 2010. Uh, the Democrats had one in 2006, and there were huge changes in Congress and in state legislatures, including ours. Uh, legislatures all over the country. The bottom line here is, here's what we're finding in the polls. Democrats are more excited and more likely to vote than Republicans. Some polls as high as 12, 15 points. Number two, more Democrats have filed across the country in state legislative and congressional races. And by the way, the same is true for our state in legislative seats and congressional elections than we've seen in decades. Number three, Democrats have raised more money in these races than they have in decades. So right now, it looks like a wave is brewing for the Democrats. Now, we're eight months away. I'm not predicting that that will take place yeah. in November. But the point I'm trying to make is that now there's a wave coming, <laughs> the size of which we don't know, and that is going to help the Democrats pick up the 24 seats they need to take over Congress. I don't think, for example, there'll be... Uh, you know, eight or nine seat pickup in our own state. I think the delegation is still likely to be Republican, though you could have, it could be very, very close. Yeah, because 50-50 is what people say. One final point, in the state legislature, I think at the end of the day, because of the size of the majorities, the Republicans will still control the state house and the state senate. And that sort of makes me wonder about, and and you have a point, I want to talk about, because we have 2018 map secured, this is going to be the map. But this map is going to be withdrawn. And if Terry's correct on his prediction, the Republicans will be the ones redrawing the map. The 2011 map was the most aggressive partisan gerrymander that Pennsylvania had ever seen and one of the most aggressive the country had ever seen. And with every decade going by, the technology improves. It becomes easier for politicians to slice and dice the map up. You know, eventually the courts have to step in and say enough. And that's what happened here. Uh, it got taken too far and the court stepped in. What the court's opinion means is that in the future, it's also going to be more difficult for politicians of either party to draw a map in a way uh, that benefits their party at the expense of the other party. This is a clear warning that if yes. you want 
if you don't want the court to usurp the power of the legislature, I as the Republicans argued here, yes. as the Republicans argued here, they better be fair in the way they draw it or else there's right. a chance that and the well, court could take I over. I wouldn't call it usurpation, but the League of Women Voters doesn't like gerrymandering no matter which party does it. In Pennsylvania, it happened to be the Republicans who wielded the pen in 2011. When Democrats do it, we don't like it anymore. Yeah. And so when we think about this, I mean, we have uh, 59 Democrats and 35 Republicans that have stepped up uh, to run for office. In some cases, you have multiple you have multiple Republicans and multiple Democrats, especially in the Philadelphia area you have Bucks County. Mm-hmm. You have multiple on both sides. Could it be to the benefit of the, of the Republicans? If, if you said, like you said, Val, if you guys step your A game up and and realize and and and, and maybe distance yourself from other folks. I don't know. Could could, could it, the new map be? Yeah. No, no. There's there's no way you could see it as to our advantage. Does it potentially infuse new new, new energy? Yes, possibly. Uh, it adds to a great uh, level of confusion among voters. And look, at the end of the day, Ben makes some good points uh, about gerrymandering. And um, the point is, this was working its way through the legislative process. There's a bill in Harrisburg okay. now. It's been getting a lot of attention yeah. about reforming this process. This is what the left does. We see in this country, they do that through the courts, which they cannot accomplish at the ballot box a lot of times. If we had waited for the legislative process to work its way through, we might have come up with a good result that did not usurp, and that's the word we would use, on the prerogative of the General Assembly, the power of the General Assembly and the executive. Is this a lesson to you all, though, to the Republican Party? Will this change the way you all draw the maps? In 2020. Well, we don't know that we're going to be drawing the maps in 2020. There may be reform in this area. So we don't know who, who and how maps are going to be drawn in 2020. But, um, yeah. but here's, here's the problem. If a court can do this, if a court can say, can read a, a provision of the Constitution in a way they've never read it before and say, if you don't fix this to our liking within 30 days, we're going to draw new legislation. Remember, this is legislation drawing these maps. They could do that with any issue. They could say the education funding formula you guys came up with in a deal with the governor is not fair, a thorough and efficient form of education in Pennsylvania, which you're required to provide under the Constitution. And we're throwing that out. We're giving you 30 days to fix it. And if you don't, we are now going to do it. We could raise taxes in the process. That is any third grade civic student knows or should know. That is a big problem. When courts are, draw, are draw, drawing up legislation, that's a big problem. Terry, you had a comment on that. You seemed like you were weighing in yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line here is this is really something that needs to be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. And we have the case in Maryland that Ben just pointed to. We also have a case in Wisconsin. And the question is, will the Supreme Court finally get involved and, and decide whether gerrymandering violates the federal constitution, perhaps the Equal Protection Clause in the 14th Amendment? But here's the point. If the Supreme Court says political gerrymandering is unconstitutional, that's going to apply to the states. The states can't violate the federal constitution if gerrymandering is decided to violate the federal constitution. I think the Supreme Court needs to weigh in once and for all and make a decision about it so that we don't have one state doing it one way, another state doing it yet a second way, and another state doing it a third way. I agree in one sense and disagree in another. I agree that the U.S. Supreme Court needs to step in and needs to say enough is enough on a nationwide basis. However, the states are laboratories of democracy. It's meant for our states to be able to experiment with different forms of governance. 
And state constitutions, including Pennsylvania's, often go further than the U.S. Constitution in protecting individual rights. Yeah, but can they rights. violate the U.S. Constitution? That's the point. If, the, if, the, if, if it's a violation of the U.S. Constitution to do political gerrymandering, then, what, then okay, then it doesn't matter on majority-minority districts. Then state legislatures, when they draw their plans, can dilute minority districts. I mean, of course this, this the US... should be decided. That's one thing that should be decided nationally. If the, of course, the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Nonetheless, right. if it sets a floor and says, you know, here are the basic rights every state must guarantee, that doesn't stop states from going further. And in fact, the language in the Constitution of Pennsylvania that, that, that our Supreme Court looked to in this case is repeated verbatim in about a dozen other state constitutions. I'm hopeful that uh, courts in those states will take a look at their constitutions as well and conclude that they prohibit partisan gerrymandering. And so, Val, how do you stop something like this? I mean, this is this is something that could very much spread, if, if especially if the U.S. Supreme Court kind of continues its past trend and punts the ball. I mean, you could have all different types of things going on in different types in different states. Well, I, I do agree with Ben. I don't have a problem necessarily having different ways to draw lines in different states as long as it passes U.S. constitutional muster. And the states are laboratories of democracy. I'm a very strong proponent of federalism. I don't, that doesn't trouble me. What troubles me here is what I mentioned before is the legislature needs to stick up for itself. The legislature is where – So will there are, be more litigation you think? I think what we'll be looking at – and I say this as a lawyer – um, uh, as uh, taking off my Republican Party chairman hat for a moment, and uh, as a lawyer, I'm very troubled by this. And I think we need to look at the possibility of impeachment of at least Justice Wecht, who did what a justice is not supposed to do. He went out and campaigned and said, if you basically, if you elect me, I will get rid of gerrymandering. Now, a judge does not run for office like a governor. And there are ethical rules regarding judges that say you're not supposed to do that kind of thing, campaign on issues. And he did it, arguably violated uh, the laws that apply to judges running for office. And we need to look at whether we need to impeach him, both as a way to send a message to say you can't campaign that way and violate the, your ethical responsibilities. And second, usurpation of the General Assembly has to stop because we're not going to meet a situation where we're going to pass so, legislation, compromise with the governor, and have the court say, no, we don't like it. Go back to the drawing board. So this can't happen. you all, the, the Republican <laughs> legislature, would look at taking out a judge. And maybe that. more than one. Yeah. This country and this commonwealth have a long tradition of respect for an independent judiciary. And uh, this talk about impeachment is irresponsible and it's a threat to the rule of law. No more of a threat to the rule of law than black robe judges who are in there for 10 years at a time and are not responsible as in a Republican. Wow. No more irresponsible than usurping on the power of the legislature. Pennsylvania also elects its judges, unlike uh, federal judges, for example. If voters are dissatisfied they with how do, a judge is We perform, do those stories about judicial elections all the time. Why not? Why not with a Republican legislature just say, you know what, we're going to make sure we're going to change the way Pennsylvania uh, oh, we selects judges. I mean, there's absolutely. been judicial, there's been efforts to reform the, the way judges are selected for many, many years and no movement. Why not go in that route? I think it's time to look at that. Absolutely. And so because this is Flashpoint, we don't have a ton of time, but I want to <laughs> wrap this up in about 15 seconds. How many seats do you think will go to Democrats? How many seats do you go to Republicans? And you tell me why. I'm not a political prognosticator, but I can tell you that there are going to be a lot more exciting competitive races and a lot fewer races where there's an incumbent of either party with a safe seat. And so that's what I think is the most positive outcome in terms of the 2018 races. So ironically, I think there are going to be fewer competitive seats. I think the sixth district gets less competitive for the Republicans. So the seventh, I think there are two or three Republican seats that are now less competitive going, going from Trump 
plus 20 to Trump plus 26 now that a Democrat couldn't even remotely compete in. So there's fewer competitive seats. There's more splits among county and municipality lines than what we had offered. And I think we could lose two or three uh, seats going into the right. fall. And they managed to accomplish that, which they could not accomplish yeah. through the ballot box. Yeah. And Terry, final the, word. The big, the big battle will be down in the Philadelphia suburbs in the Montgomery County seat. That's the new fourth. You got the old Pat Meehan seat. That will be competitive. And the sixth, Ryan Costello, that seat will be competitive. So three seats there. The Democrats, as I said, have a reasonable chance of picking it up. Pennsylvania is going to be ground zero, one of the three most watched and embattled states for control of Congress this year. All right. A lot of money is going to be pouring into Pennsylvania, huh? Yes. yes. Thank you to Ben Geffen, to Val DiGiorgio, and to Terry Madonna for appearing on KYW and talking about this flashpoint in the news. It's going to be hot this, 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 <laughs> this fall. It's going to be hot. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> Next up, the Philadelphia rapper who's returned to prison started a movement. There is a strong likelihood that his conviction is going to be overturned. The arguments lawyers made to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and the newly elected official who's supporting his release. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and the case of Philadelphia-born rapper Robert Rameek Williams, a.k.a. Meek Mill, has been in the headlines for months after he was sentenced to two to four years in prison for a technical parole violation. Since then, big-name athletes, entertainers, and activists have come out to support him. We've got to deal with the issue of Meek. That is broader than just me. That's the Reverend Al Sharpton at a forum at UPenn this month where Mill called in telling supporters it's time for parole and probation reform. God picked me to be the one to bring the light to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to the world. This week, Mills' team of lawyers took the case to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. With me on the line to discuss their latest effort to get released is Joe Takapina. He's a New York-based lawyer that's part of Mills' legal team. Joe, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having me. For those folks who have heard of this Meek Mill case, could you give us a, a update on the current status of the case? We've just filed motions with the highest court in the state, King's Bench, which really is a, a sort of a catch-all that remedies situations like this. We have repeatedly sought relief from Judge Brinkley. We have motions pending before her um, since November of last year for her to recuse herself for other relief like reconsideration, which she hasn't denied. She's just ignored. You know, I've been very clear and we've all discussed the personal bias she has against Meek and, and some of the inappropriate things that have been done to Meek by this judge, personal requests that she made, visiting him at the homeless shelter while he's doing community service and having a conversation with him, an ex parte conversation, things that just don't happen with a normal judge. That's the base. But then what happened in the last month is that we uncovered there was a list yeah. of, of, of 29 corrupt cops who on the previous district attorneys, you know, don't call lists, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were basically cops that were identified as un- unreliable and so, Yeah, so uh, the DA would not call them as witnesses because their testimony right. was unreliable, right? But but yet he didn't reveal that to the defense. This is not a football game. This is not a, an Eagles game where, you know, you huddle up and you try and hide your plays from the opposing team's defense and, and you know, you try and outmaneuver them. This is the justice system. And if you have information like that, 
constitutionally, you need to turn that over to the defense. Um, by law, you need to turn that over to the defense. It's not a game. People's lives are at stake here. And, and that stuff not being turned over, um, obviously, is called into question many convictions in the state. It's been reported by the Inquirer. There have been 800 cases that have either been overturned, dismissed outright, or thrown out because of this list of corrupt officers. You know, it should have at least been 801. Because Meeks, Meeks cop, Officer Graham was yeah. on that list, and that's so this was new evidence. This was all new right evidence, now. and I know that was a part of a post conviction relief uh, motion that was filed. That wait, recently but, but came out when when uh, Larry Krasner what? was elected Correct. DA. All this information right. began to come out. The district attorney did something extraordinary last week after the rally yes. at UPenn. Mm-hmm. He wrote a letter saying that he doesn't oppose Meeks getting released on bail because there is a strong likelihood that his conviction is going to be overturned based on the new evidence. And therefore, any additional time or day he spends in jail is unjust. And so what, so is, what do you make of all this? Frankly, this kid has been on probation since he was a teenager. He made a mistake. He, he owned up to it. But he was tagged with doing things that he didn't do, which ramped up his, his exposure and made him much more vulnerable. And Judge Brinkley, obviously, her conduct has been atrocious. To be fair, I have to mention that Judge Brinkley has hired a lawyer, Charles Peruto Jr. She's hired yeah, him, criminal, and they're, they're, they're talking defamation claims against... I hope. Yeah, I they're hope. talking defamation. They're saying that, you know, her character is being defamed um, in, in this so case, and your response to that. Bring the suit. Stop talking defamation you want to sue us sue us right now because guess what happens when she which when we get sued she gets to be deposed under oath i for free i won't even charge me for this okay i would love to depose judge brinkley under oath yeah i would absolutely love it facts are facts and what happens what happens we have letters where she's told tenants i'll sue you and i'm a judge so you know that's completely inappropriate and improper. At this point, she had a chance to get out of this thing last week when the DA is now saying he should be released on bail. His conviction is likely to be overturned because there was this list of corrupt cops. So you're saying she could have just released him on the burden's that. Off her. The burden's off her now. And so is, that's again, why that's why the, the King's bench uh, brief has been correct. filed to sort of go overhead. And so I just want to also point out the fact that with the, the Mill case, there was a forum held and that this there is a lot of hope that this case will actually uh, explode and highlight other injustices as well besides what's happening to Meek Mill. His attitude in, in large part is something good's going to come of this. There'll be a greater good. And if he has to spend five months in jail, whatever it is, to expose a system that is broken, that is larded with corruption, unfortunately, if he could expose that and get it fixed, then this whole thing was well worth it. Every month that he remains incarcerated, you get more and more people realizing and hearing about this case and coming forward in his defense. Because people with brains understand that there's a terrible, terrible injustice happening here. You know, when I went to the, the National Action Network and talked to Reverend Al Sharpton about this, and the Reverend doesn't get involved in every cause, particularly in, in situations of celebrities like Meek. You know, this is not just because he's a celebrity, it's because he's an individual whose rights are being defecated on. You have Brian Stevenson, who came out and spoke. I mean, you know, one of the most respected members of the civil rights movement. I mean, you have important people. Now, forget all the entertainers and all the athletes, okay? That's great, too. Jo- Joel Embiid and, and James Harden and, and all the Eagles players. I've never seen such a, a resounding amount of support from all different walks of life, from people who live in ivory towers to people who live on the streets who really care about this this case and about about Meek's well-being because it's it stands for a lot 
And Mixiodum sees himself right now as, as sort of the voice for the voiceless. Yeah, so he's kind of transcended uh, this his just music and has sort of become an activist by default in a way. Sort of wasn't his plan. But if this helps thousands of other young kids in there or young people in there who have been victimized by this system that's run amok, this was this was what was meant to be. There is currently a hearing scheduled. Do you expect something to happen before that April hearing? What what is the what is the next step? We hope. Wait, wait. We hope the hearing scheduled is sort of I think just a, a perfunctory thing where it's just set by the clerk. Um, last time that happened, Judge Brinkley canceled the hearing. Um, but we're now seeking sort of immediate and almost emergency relief. At least get him out. What we're saying at this point is just let him get out on bail. Get him out on bail. You guys could sort all this out, justice system. You guys figure out if his conviction is now going to be overturned because you had a cop who has a history of, of being um, untrustworthy, according to the district attorney, you know, out there as the only witness against Meek when Meek's been saying all along he's lying. So, you know, you guys figure out what you're going to do with his case. But in the meantime, he shouldn't be spent. And this is what the DA said. He shouldn't be spending another minute in jail. How's Amik doing in prison? Are they, I mean, is he okay? As okay as you can be in prison? That's the right answer. He's okay as you can be. I mean, he's in an eight by nine foot cell eating absolutely unedible food and limited contact with his family. He hasn't seen his kid in four months. I mean, it's not in existence for anyone, but it's, he's coping. He's coping because he understands the resounding amount of support he has he knows and he understands that there's a social impact coming on here and and he understands he's sort of sacrificing for that as i wrap it up we did a whole debate segment on the meek mill case and i've heard repeatedly people have said meek mill is not the example of probation and parole reform what do you say about this case and why it is much bigger than meek mill in the in this instance because it's not just meek there are a bunch of guys in chester SCI, the place I've been to to visit me numerous times, you know, who have the same stories, but but their name is John Smith or, you know, John Doe, and nobody cares. And they don't have the wherewithal to, to put together a team of lawyers and investigators and, 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 and have civil rights leaders behind them. And these cases get swept under the carpet. The reform rally was not reform to free Meek Mill. The reform rally was about reform in the system. I think we're, we're in a position where Change is coming. Well, thank you so much, Joe Takapina, for being on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Well, thanks for having me. Next up, free art, history, culture, and living legends. From the Negro League players, the Buffalo Soldiers, Tuskegee Airmen. Why the founder of this 15-year-old extravaganza says it's more relevant than ever. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community, and this week is all about history. Every year on Easter Sunday, the African American History and Culture Showcase opens at the Pennsylvania Convention Center. The two-day event brings in real-life historical legends and artifacts, showcases films, and hosts discussions, and much more, all for free. And with me in the studio to discuss this annual effort is the event's founder, Everest Statton. Welcome to Flashpoint. Oh, thank you, Terry. I'm really glad to be here. Tell people about this event and its purpose. Well, we started it in 2004 as a way to commemorate the important role that African Americans played in American history and also to celebrate the contributions that we've made to the world. We wanted to do something that was a free event 
that people could attend regardless of what their financial situation was. So we started out at the uh, Independence Visitor Center for three years, and then we grew, so we had to move it to the Convention Center, the Pennsylvania Convention Center. Now, thousands of people come through here. Yes, they do. Yes, All they kinds do. of people. All of them come there, and I know it's a free event, but if you don't learn something, we'll refund your money. I love it. Okay? We use real people, real objects, and real stories so that we can accurately present the African-American experience. Before we go into what makes this year so special. You used to work with magazines? Yes, I did. I was in Atlanta. I was the associate publisher of the Atlanta Black Pages. Then I came to New York. Maynard Jackson introduced me to Earl Graves. And so I left and came to New York and I worked for Black Enterprise. And then I was fortunate enough to uh, be one of the founders of Emerge Magazine. Now I heard about Emerge was dope. Yeah, Emerge was sure was. I, I really miss that. We did a joint venture with Time Warner. Time Warner sold their stake to BET. I did not want to continue on, and so I left. I went with Black Expo USA. I was a managing partner. I started including some historical components like the black inventors and the Negro League players. I just got an interest. I got bit by a history bug, and I decided that I wanted to do something different that just wasn't totally entertainment-driven. And so that was gave birth initially the Black History Showcase. Then we added culture, so it was the Black History and Culture Showcase. So this year, being our 15th year, we decided this was the time to change it and hopefully settle on African-American History and Culture Showcase. So this is the first time it's being called that. That's the first. This is the first time. All right. You buried mm-hmm. the lead, Everett. Mm-hmm. You buried the lead. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> one of the cool things is that you can bring your kids, bring your family members, and just meet people who are literally legends in history. That's what the whole idea part of it is, to provide a situation where people can come and hear some of the legends speak and get information firsthand from the Negro League players, the Buffalo Soldiers, the Tuskegee Airmen, so on, and other legends. This year we're really excited because it is, we have our featured speaker is Dr. C.T. Vivian, who in 2013, he received a Presidential Medal of Freedom from uh, President Obama. But he was always close associate and advisor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who called him the greatest preacher that he that, that, that ever lived, also uh, the director of the greatest nonviolent protest. And given the time that we're in now with the Me Too protests and we have the march coming up about the gun safety. March for our lives, March yeah. for our lives and everything like that. We thought this was really fitting to bring in Dr. C.T. Vivian. He's 93 years old, but he's sharp as a tack. And so then you also have an Olympic medalist. Wow, John Carlos. And once again, that ties into what's going on today. Okay, John Carlos uh, may not be a recognizable name to some folks, but the image that him and Tommy Smith made famous on the medal stand at the 1968 Mexico City Olympics with the gloved raised fist has become the most iconic symbol across this world. When people, when athletes are taking knees right right, now. Right, right. John Carlos did this. This happens to be 50 years ago this year. Yes. And so let's talk about the exhibits that will be available. Our featured exhibit, it is called Freedom Sisters. And it's a photo essay celebrating 20 African-American women who fought for freedom and changed the course of history. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a gentleman, he has a company called Sankofa Archives. And his exhibit is called Sambo's the superheroes, the evolution of the black comic character, 1900 to present day. And you also have the International Black Adventures Museum. You have the Lest We Forget Museum of Slavery. And, of course, the Clef Club of Jazz and Performing Arts. Right. Black Adventures Museum is always a favorite one because so many people come through there and they do not. They had no knowledge of all the different things that black people have invented. The Lest We Forget Slavery Museum 
is a very emotional exhibit when people walk through there. Yeah, the Black the Holocaust, the, right? To see slavery, to see that. and uh, we have the uh, the Black Writers Museum. We have the Black German Culture Society, Granville Woods exhibit. This is a whole situation. So give us the times, the location, and then where people can go to find out more information. We held at the Pennsylvania Convention Center on Saturday, March 31st, and Sunday, April 1st, from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. both days. The convention center is located at 12th and Arch Streets downtown. And you can log on to where to find out more information? Black History Showcase. Org. 15 years. Congratulations. And thank you for being on Flashpoint. Oh, thank you for having me. That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the show by using the radio.com app, iTunes, or whatever platform you use to get your podcast. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As the 32nd President Franklin D. Roosevelt once said, in politics, nothing happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet it was planned that way. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.